Amen, faith family. Do you like that last verse? Let me read it to you. I know you're just saying it. When ends life's transient dream? What's a transient? Temporary, passing. We all have dreams of life. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to buy this and go and do all of this. But when ends life's transient dreams? When all of my dreams are done because I'm dying or dead, it says, when death's cold, sullen stream shall o'er me fall. When death comes upon me and this body lies still, it seems like all is lost, right? It seems sad and dark and depressing. Not for the believer. Here's what the, the hymn says. Bless, blessed Savior, then in love, fear and distrust remove. So as I'm facing death, like Jarius's 12-year-old daughter was, Lord, not only remove the clouds and the heaviness, but um, fear and distrust remove entirely from me. Let me only have faith in my system. Oh, bear me safe above a ransomed soul. Ah, rich, rich words. Well, faith family, take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Jesus is, in, is encountering face-to-face, in battle mode, four of our greatest Uh, I don't know, dangers or enemies, I'd say. Luke chapter 8. He has victory and triumph over life's physical circumstances, the stormy sea, by two simple words. He doesn't even even need two. He just one will do it. He calms the stormy sea. Jesus is Lord over all physical circumstances. You name it, he's in control. He is, he is sovereign over all of the affairs of physical life. But then you have the demon-possessed man from Gadara, this invisible realm of malignant, evil spirits. Jesus is in control over them as well. He's in charge. He is sovereign, and he is far more powerful than a nasty storm on the sea or a 1,000 or 6,000 malignant demons inside a person. Jesus is more powerful. Now we have two more enemies facing us. One is disease. Hey, listen, disease is not easy. Uh, It tears apart the body. It brings aches and pains and loneliness and all sorts of mental anguish. Uh, Physical disease is hard. And and I only say that as a spectator because I've never suffered physically. I've never had cancer. I've never had... Issues like that, like many of you are suffering, I, 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 I can only speak as a spectator and not as a participant. But I do know from the text that Jesus is triumphant over all diseases. And that is going to be true someday in heaven. How many diseases in heaven, everybody? Zero. Yeah, when, we, when we're in heaven, there's not a disease because the Lord is going to keep us free from all of that. And then the final, the final enemy is death. And we'll see tonight, Jesus is victorious over death. I hope you're excited to study God's word with me and to be encouraged and actually rejoice with the greatest of joys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Luke chapter 8. It is one fantastic chapter of our Savior. It is four miracles in a row where Jesus conquers and triumphs and is victorious, even taunting all of our enemies, physical dangers, demons of all kinds, diseases, and death. Jesus triumphs it all. So we're thankful for such a Savior. There is none like him. He is the only God, the one true Savior. He is the head of the church, the soon-coming king, 
and God of gods. He is over all. Thank you, Jesus, for saving our soul. Thank you for building this church in Hermantown. For your honor and glory, we pray. Amen. We had finished Jesus coming off the Sea of Galilee. He was up in Capernaum. He made his way across the sea with the disciples in uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22 through 25. There was that gigantic storm which nearly swamped their boat. They were perishing. They were going to perish. It was only a matter of time. They woke Jesus up. He calmed the storm. They get to the other side, the Gentile side, with pigs and tombs and Gentiles. Oh, my. And there, Jesus steps out, and he's confronted with this maniac, this violent, strong, cutting himself with rocks, yelling and screaming and naked, living in the tombs, demon-possessed man. The demons, they know where they're going. They're going to a lake of fire. They're going, if earlier, they're not going to go to the lake of fire until late. If Jesus wants, they can go to the abyss, this bottomless pit. So they, they force the man to bow before Jesus in subjection because the demons know we are subject to this Jesus of Nazareth. He is God of gods. They bow before him, trembling, and they, and they beg Lord, 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 don't send us into the abyss. We deserve it. That's where we're going. But don't send us there now. Send us into this herd of pigs. 2,000 pigs soon have demons enter them. And just to show how violent and destructive these demons are in a person's life, these pigs run violently down into the sea, plunge in, and die. And then the demon-possessed man is in his right mind. Can I warn you? Don't dabble with evil spirits, with fallen angels, which would mean horoscopes. That was popular when I was growing up. I don't know if it still is, but there used to be the paper. People used to get a physical paper at their homes, believe it or not. I don't know, maybe they still do. But um, you would read it, you would find your horoscope, and you would like, I'm a cancer. I was born in the month of July, and then I would read the little cancer thing, and it would be like, every single thing came true. I'm going to have fun today. I did. Um, some clouds are going to be in my sky. There were. I was like, that's all. You know what's behind all of that? Demons. Behind all of that is demons. I'll tell you what, tarot cards, palm readers, Halloween, you name it. It's all fallen angels, demonic activity. So we stay away from it. And instead we proclaim the gospel and praise God for that. So this man is, is sitting there, um, and remember what I said about the gateway to, to sorcery and witchcraft and, de- and demon infiltration? Drugs. It's an easy way to let down our guard, to not be sober and vigilant, and really to, as it says in the Greek for the word sorcery, pharmacia, just allow our lives to be open to the invisible, evil spiritual realm. Well, here is the man clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind. What a savior. What a rescuer. Let's begin in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned. Whoa, he went about 13 miles across the Sea of Galilee from north to south. He had that great storm. He healed the man from Gadara. And now he gets back in his boat and they go right back 13 more miles across the Sea of Galilee. They're coming back, I believe, here to Capernaum, his home village. As an adult, this is where he lived. So Jesus is coming back home to Capernaum. It says that the multitude welcomed him. Aren't you glad for that? How did the Gadarenes treat Jesus? When they saw the man rightly clothed and in his right mind and they knew this was the former demoniac, 
They were like, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you. We don't want your salvation. We don't want your glory. We don't want your help. Just get out. And so he left. And now he comes back to Capernaum and everybody's waiting for him. The idea, the idea here is they're watching on the shores for that ship to come back. Man, I'd be like, Jesus left. He must have had an errand. He had an appointment with the demon-possessed man. But now he's coming back. They're watching the boat get bigger and bigger and bigger. Comes to port. Jesus comes out with the 12 disciples. And everybody's, whoo, Jesus is here. They, they're welcoming, welcoming him here. For they were all waiting for him. Huge crowds of people. Well, who wouldn't be this Jesus? Verse 41. And behold, oh, that's a alarming word. We need to, like, look! Behold! Wait! You've got a whole multitude of people. Tall, short, thin, not so thin. Educated, not so educated. Rich, not so rich. And here comes a man striding along. Behold, look. Look at this man. There came a man named Jarius. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. This man had prestige. He had, he had renown. He had importance. Most likely he had wealth. Also, being a ruler of the synagogue would have, would have made him part of that group that hated Jesus. Now, Jarius doesn't. But he's part of that group that, for the most part, despise and hate our Savior. But you know what's wrong with Jarius? He has a great need As in all of these truths that I've been teaching about, Jarius is in an absolutely hopeless condition. There's been a few times in our church family in the last 20, 25, 30 years where I've been called to the emergency room where a loved one has been in an accident or something and there's not there's not much time left. And somebody's son or daughter is going to die. The anguish, the pain, the tears, the desperation, they will do anything to see their child live a little longer. Boy, those are hard times. And Jarius, all he's thinking is, he's not thinking of, I'm a fair, I'm a ruler of the synagogue, and we don't like Jesus. He's thinking, I've tried everything, and nobody can help my 12-year-old daughter, but Jesus can. I believe Jesus can. I've heard him. I've seen him. I know he can. I'm going to the only one who can help. Jairus, he's in absolutely hopeless condition. Behold, there came a man, Jim Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet. How humbling. This man is used to being bowed to, his hand kissed, and now he's on, the, he's on the pavement. He's on the stone, the cobblestone of the road. Now remember, he's not alone. There's just a throng of people, a multitude of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And Jarius is just one of the thousand. He stops, maybe he gets right in front of Jesus and he plops right down. Here's what he says. He begged him to come to his house. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jarius says, Come to my house, Jesus, and lay your hand on my daughter, for she's going to die. What does Jarius want? Jesus, I want you to be there in the house, in the bedroom, and I want you to put your hand on her body. 
Now, is that going to end up happening? It's not. Jesus isn't going to get there in time. But that's what Jarius wants. Come and touch my daughter, the Bible says, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Listen, he begged him. It's the idea continually. Remember how the demons were begging Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, don't torture us. Don't torture us. Don't send us to the abyss. Don't. They're begging continually. Jarius is begging continually. Now, do you see how Jesus is? He is, since he's able to supply all the needs, everybody's coming to him, begging and begging. And Jarius is like, Jesus, 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 please, please, please come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter. Come to my house. Lay your hands on my daughter. Jesus, please, please, please. You ever have prayer life like that? Sometimes when things are going well, our prayer is this. Thank you for this food, Father. Thank you for this day. Bless this day. Bless this food. Amen. And then the next day, bless this food. Bless this day. Amen. And then when tragedy strikes, what do we do? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Hear my voice. I cry unto you. Where are you when life's dark maze I tread? Right? Our prayers change when we suffer. Well, verse 42, Luke tells us, for he had an only daughter. This is his only daughter. About 12 years of age. 12 years of age in this culture was almost marrying age. Already they had raised their daughters to be so mature and to be so humble and godly, they were ready for marriage by age 13 to 14. So you're talking a young girl who we would think is going to go to middle school or upper elementary, and Jarius is thinking, you know, soon I'm going to betroth her to a man and she'll have her own family. So here's what's going on. His only daughter, about 12, she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. You know know what happens when a multitude throngs you? I I remember one time I was in uh, Athens, Greece. I was on a tour of of Paul's journeys and John John in Turkey and Paul in, in, uh, in, in Greece. We were in a hotel, and one of the leading presidential candidates ended up coming to the same hotel, and the crowds and the reporters thronged the hotel. Literally, I couldn't move. I was like this, and I was like, I want to get out. I don't want to be in any pictures, and I don't know who all these people are, and they don't speak my, I don't speak their language. So, and I could not, the, the multitude thronged this presidential candidate, and literally, we were all at a stop. I couldn't go. I couldn't, I couldn't even fight my way through the crowd. This is what's going on. Jarius is like, Jesus, we got to pick up the pace. We got to get moving. My house is down the road. It's going to take us a seven-minute walk. And now the multitudes have stopped Jesus. They've thronged around him, pressing on him. Goes on, verse 40, 43. Oh, now a woman. Oh, great. Now, uh, now an interruption. You know, I have a certain timetable for the Lord when I'd like things done. I do. I have a whole plan. Lord, I'd like this to be done, and I'd like this to be done, and I want this to be here and this to be there. And, and the Lord does not work with my timetable. Can you believe it? I wonder why. I think it's because his is so much better. So Jarius is like, Lord, we're on a time schedule. My, my daughter's not going to make it probably in the next hour. We've got, I'd say, 50 minutes to get to the house, and it's going to take you a good seven minutes. But with this crowd, and we, if we push really hard, we're going to get there, and it'll be just in time for my daughter to be healed by you. And so, and so, Lord, let's not let these people detain you. Okay? 
the multitude thronged him. Verse 43, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. So that miracle is almost at a stop now. And so we get another one. This woman has had a blood flow for about 12 years. The same age as Jarius' daughter has been alive. This woman has been suffering, I believe, to be a vaginal hemorrhage. So we're talking, according to the law of Moses, this vaginal hemorrhage is going to result in her being unclean. Do you understand what this means for this culture? Unclean means you never go to assembly. You never go to the synagogue. You cannot go to anybody's house because whatever you sit on, if you sit on a chair, that chair becomes unclean. If you touch somebody, they become unclean. You can't hug your husband. You can't, t- you can't touch your children. Nobody invites you over. You can't go to the marketplace unless it's deserted. And even then, no shopkeeper is going to sell you anything because you're unclean. You're ritually unclean with this blood flow. Isolated, lonely, she can't work. She has to be thrown scraps of food. Maybe her husband is, we don't know anything about her other home life, but, but basically everybody looks at this woman and says, she's filth. She has gotten herself into this problem. Let her suffer. We are, we are not going to help this woman. She's going to make me unclean and then I can't go to synagogue. So this woman is an outcast in the midst of a populated place. So, so now she's in a throng of, of, of people. How did she get there? I wonder. I, I bet she was home going, huh, we know this from other texts. I, I know Jesus is here now. Jesus is on the streets in Capernaum. And from, according to Matthew 14, Jesus healed many people and many people got healed when they touched his clothes. This is not the only woman who touched the clothes of Jesus and got healed. Many people had touched Jesus' clothes and gotten healed. So this woman, well, here, go to Matthew 14 and let me show you. Go to Matthew 14. This woman heard that Jesus is walking in the streets of Capernaum the Gospels say. In Matthew 14, verse 34, remember Luke isn't chronological. He's orderly, but not always chronological. In these four miracles in Luke 8, it's chronological. But but Luke doesn't always match up chronologically. Here it is, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out uh, into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Ah, this woman's like, all I need, I believe in Jesus, I believe him, but all I need to do is touch the hem of his garment, and I'm going to be healed. She believes it. She has faith in Jesus. And I, I see, I hear people, I read a lot in the last week, because I, norm- I don't normally look at commentaries until the very end of my study, I was shocked how many commentators about this text said, this woman has weak faith. She has a superstitious faith. She is simply trusting a garment. I don't, I don't ble- buy that at all. She believes in Jesus as the healer and restorer, I think, of her soul, but also of her physical condition. And she's going to go to all odds to be healed. So no doubt she put on some kind of head covering. She covers herself all up so she doesn't look like herself because nobody's going to want to be around her because she's unclean. And 
She's like, I got to get to Jesus. How do you get to Jesus when he's over there and there's a huge crowd of people between you and them? What do you do? How, if you can't push your way through the crowd, what do you do? You get down on your hands and knees and she's crawling amongst the feet. She's like dirty sandals, dirty stinky feet, toe fungus. And she's crawling and, and people are like, what is this woman doing? Ah, she's getting to Jesus because nobody's moving out of their way she can sneak through their feet and, and by their legs. Listen to this. Do you understand? Do you understand the heaviness of this woman? Can I ask you a question? Is she hopeless? Or is she in a hopeless condition? She, well, she's not because of Jesus. But without Jesus, she is completely hopeless. She has spent every dime of her livelihood on doctors and no doctors helped. So in her own state, there is no hope. Zero but with Jesus, there's lots of hope. And so, the Bible says in verse 43, she had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind. Oh, why does she come from behind? So, so Jesus doesn't see her. She can sneak up on him if she comes from behind. And touched the border of his garment. And immediately, her flow of blood stopped. Immediately. Healed physically. After 12 years and nobody can help, she's healed. She knows right away in her body, it's done and it's over. Now, the Numbers chapter 15, Moses, the law of Moses said, put tassels like this on the corner of your garments to remember the, the commandments of God. So what the people, Jewish people do today is they have four pieces of string. They have four pieces of string that is wrapped around this, this hole here. So it makes eight ends. So there's eight ends, even though it's only four pieces of string. And then there's five knots. One, two, three, four, five. And each knot is twisted a certain number of times to represent the commandments of Moses. Now, they believe there's 613 commandments of Moses. This right here is called a zitzit. And in the Hebrew, zitzit adds up to 600 plus five knots plus eight pieces of rope makes 613 for the, lot, for the commandments. So this basically represents the word of God. And if it was on a real, this is a real Jewish, but if it was on the garment, it would be blue. And the reason it would be blue is because blue is the color of the sky, and you would touch this when you're walking around, and you would see it in the daylight, and you would think, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a pilgrim on earth, my home is in heaven. And you think of the commandments of God and, and heaven. So this is probably what the woman grabbed um, at the corner, at the hem of Jesus' garment. It could be. Um, because Numbers 15 said, um, this is for the Jewish men to wear tassels on their garments to remember the, the word of God. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it. So Jesus must have said it with some authority. Who touched me? And everybody in the crowd's like, not I, not I. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I wasn't. Nope, not me. Everybody's denying it. And listen to Peter. Peter and those with him said, Master. See, I like how Peter even is willing to correct the Savior. The multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Jesus, many people have touched you in the last two minutes. Many people have touched you. But verse 46, but Jesus said, somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. So when, she w when Jesus was touched by faith of this woman, he felt power. Do you see Jesus' power is not some um, 
Star Wars type of zzz, like a, some impersonal force, the power of Jesus is very personal. Now, if you have a car battery and you take power out of it, you have less power in your battery. That's the way it works. Until finally the battery is, is drained unless you can charge it somehow, right? You all agree? But if Jesus has infinite power, what's infinite power minus a little bit? It's still infinity. If you have infinite power minus a lot of power, what's infinite minus a lot? Still infinite. Since Jesus has infinite power, he can have infinite power going out and it never affects him one bit. But he feels power. So here's what I was thinking this week. When I am being led by the Spirit of God and the power of God is working in my life, and, and I, because I can feel when the power of the Spirit is working, does Jesus somehow feel me empowered by the Spirit? I wonder. I wonder. But Jesus felt the power leave him. Now, did Jesus know who touched him? Yes! He wants her to own up to it so he can explain to everybody it's her faith that healed her, not the touch of the garment. It's not like if you have a piece of his garment, somehow uh, like you can buy a prayer rug and then if you buy one for 50 bucks, you can get your prayers answered. It's not like that. There's no mystery in the garment. It's the faith that she had in Jesus that healed her. So this is the point. Let's read on. Verse 47. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. Oh, which tells you how did she end up? She stood up at some point. She touched Jesus, got healed, and stood up. And now she's trembling, and she falls down before Jesus. And she declared to him, in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he, listen, he said to her, verse 48, if you want to remember one thing from my message tonight, is this. This is the only time, only time, that Jesus ever calls somebody daughter. He, is, he never he calls, calls him woman, but he, has, he doesn't call anybody else daughter that I could find. So this woman is scared to death. She's like, I have been healed by Jesus of Nazareth. I am whole. And now he's bringing me out to the light and he's going to yell at me. He's going to tell me I shouldn't have done that. He's going to embarrass me in front of all these people. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter. What does that mean? I'm okay with my Savior. I'm okay with Jesus. She's thinking, oh, I don't have to be afraid of him. I'm his daughter. Don't you love that? Uh, it was brought up earlier by Dana about the, just the compassion of Jesus, how he just loves everybody. And he is so tender to this woman. So tender. Daughter, be of good cheer. Like, be happy. Be, be cheerful. Your faith, see, not the touch of the garment, your faith has made you well. This word is soza. It's where we get the word salvation. I believe her faith not only made her physically well, but spiritually right with God as well. And then because he says, go in peace. He doesn't say that to an unbeliever. Go in peace. You have peace with God. You can have peace with mankind now, but you have peace with God. Go in peace. Ah, so I feel happy about this text, except now we got a problem. Verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to the ruler, Jarius, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Now, how do you like that for good news? Somebody shows up and doesn't like say it like 
they just cut to the chase. Jarius, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, oh, I wanted to say it, verse 49. How does Jarius feel at this point? This woman's healed, happy for her. My daughter's dead. Like she's dead, dead, dead. She's not going to get up and go to school tomorrow. She's dead. My life is over. My, my, my only daughter has now died. See, we have to realize these are real people, everybody. This is not just some Hansel and Gretel story. This is, this is like a real person, a real dad with real love for his, da- his only daughter. Verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. See how fear is in each of these episodes? Fear on the sea, fear with the demon-possessed man, fear with the woman being found out who touched Jesus, and now this Jarius is afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, so now they've made their way to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. This is the first time we see that trio alone with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother. So there's Jesus and five others. That's all that get to see this miracle. Nobody else gets to see it. Verse 52, now all wept and mourned for her. Matthew says they were flute players, meaning they had hired women to mourn at the death of the girl. They, they were already ready to go, so when the girl died, her last, took her last breath, these, these professional mourners who got, they were, they, they were paid to cry and do mournful music. Then they'd leave that and go to another house and get paid to do that as well. And so this is all going on. So you have all these high-pitched flutes. You have people weeping and wailing. All of this chaos. He comes into the house. Verse 52, he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. Now, is she really physically dead? Yes. But Jesus sees us as believers as sleeping. Our body lies at rest like we're sleeping. Although it's not soul sleep, the body sleeps, and we go immediately to be with Jesus. But the reason Jesus calls it sleeping is for the believer, there's a resurrection coming. Remember when you were little? I remember in elementary school, mom, at Piedmont Elementary, do you know what my kindergarten and first grade teachers made us do? I don't know if you knew this, they made us take naps. They would roll out these little plastic things, and we would lay down, and we'd have to, and I'd be like, I could never sleep, I could never take a nap in first grade or kindergarten, it was too much fun. I'd look around. She'd be like, close your eyes, everybody. I'd be like, oh, come on, we have to take naps. I don't know, do they still do that in kindergarten and first grade? But we did that at Piedmont Elementary. And, and now if somebody were to say, Brian, go take a nap, I'd be like, yes, okay, I'm so happy. Back then I didn't want to, but now I do. So for the believer, our body, our body just lies still, like it's sleeping, it's dead, but it looks like it's sleeping. And then just like you do after a nap, that body is going to come up in the glorification, in the resurrection. So Jesus says, this woman, this little girl is just sleeping. Verse 53, they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. See, they all knew death. They, they all understood this girl's not getting up. She is, she is not breathing anymore. Verse 54, but he put them all outside, all the mockers and scorners he put outside, took her by the hand. What happens if you touch a dead person? You become unclean. But Jesus isn't worried about rituals. He grabs her hand and called saying, Talita Kumi. Talita Kumi means little girl, little child, arise. It it is the same thing a mom would say 
to your daughter or son uh, if they were taking a nap. You'd be like, okay, time to get up, arise. So Jesus simply says, Talita Kumi, um, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. So she was dead. Her spirit comes back into the body. Huh, wow. And she arose immediately. Like she didn't lay in bed groggy. She just like jumps up like a 12-year-old girl would. And he commanded, look at how tender Jesus is. He commanded that she be given something to eat. See, he's concerned about our bodies. And he's like, don't forget, feed her. She's been laying down for a while. And a dead person gets up and immediately eats pepperoni pizza. What, I know, who knows what she ate? But she just eats. She just gets up and eats like she's coming from outside or something. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. Verse 56, and her parents were astonished. Well, who wouldn't be? Her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Because the Jewish people would seek to bypass the cross, and he can't do that. The Gentiles, they can hear about it all they want. But for the Jewish people, he doesn't want to get them stirred up because he's heading to the cross, and nothing can stop the cross from coming. Well, See how Jesus has victory over disease and death? Do you know that someday in heaven there's no disease, there's no death at all? Jesus has vanquished all of that. Right now we live with it, but it's only a temporary scene. Every cancer, every disease of death, every diagnosis of disease, and every death is not final. Jesus has the final word on it all. And his word to us is arise. And someday we will. We'll rise from the dead and be with Jesus forever. That'll happen at the rapture, but that's another story. All right, everybody, that is, I hope you are so full of an excitement for who Jesus is. This same Jesus is working in your life this week. He is. He's working in your life. He wants to work in your family's life. What do you have to do, everybody? Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Don't forget. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this text. To, to the great reminder, we can trust Jesus in the storm, when oppressed by demons, when full of disease, and even when death, death comes, we can trust our Savior. He is able and he is worthy. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. God bless you, faith family. Hey, uh, don't forget, ladies, tomorrow, 1130 at Grandma's Restaurant, if you're able to make it for some fellowship and food. Tuesday night, men's Bible study at Travis's at 630 in Galatians. Wednesday, dinner at 530, praise and prayer. And um, communion next Sunday. It'll be in the evening on the 5th. God bless you, Faith.